Welcome back to the Bendy and Philby show. Philby could not be here today, filling in valiantly for him as our often friend Bees. Uh, slightly under the weather Bees, but I'll try and perk up. So, our first topic this week in discussion is Pacific Rim. What were your initial thoughts on Pacific Rim? Loved it. Loved My it. favorite movie this summer. I have so to far. concur. It was just exactly what a blockbuster needs to be. We'll go into that in a little more detail. What, do you, what were some specific... What made you love it? A, it's really positive. It's very, you know, life-affirming. It's not grim and sar- uh, cynical, not sarcastic. It's like a Michael Bay movie, if a Michael Bay movie had any weight to it. Exactly. Or like a Bruckheimer, yeah. Um, and it's just... It's monsters fighting robots. That's... Did you hear how the creator, the writer, got the idea for it? I did, but I can't remember. He said he was was. running along a beach in San Francisco or San Diego in the morning, and it was misty, and he imagined, like, monsters coming out, and then us building robots to fight them, which is a pretty good premise. Yeah, yeah. And it paid off, and has some of the clearest action scenes uh, I've seen in a while. I mean, I I couldn't say I was too surprised by anything that happened, but it it was great to turn my mind off and just sit in the movie theater and watch it. Especially, I saw it a few weeks after it came out, and I went by myself because my fiance was going for wedding stuff, so I went. I was the only person in the theater until about five minutes before it started, and then some other guy walked in solo, and we just kind of <laughs> silently nodded to each other. <laughs> uh, one thing I I noticed about this, and I think it was This Is The End, I'm not 100% sure, but I realized I was grinning throughout the whole thing, and that yeah, is same. definitely an experience I, you know, you should be doing that in most movies. And, like, I, like Cabin in the Woods, too, was the same way. It just was a perfectly fun experience. It's almost like a guilty pleasure. Like, it's too good to be a guilty pleasure, but mm-hmm. it's, it's borderline, like, where it could be, like, a cult classic, too, but... Yeah. And I'm glad it did better than they thought it was going to, because it's always good to have original properties do well. Yeah, they said it's doing better overseas than it actually is in the U.S. It came out kind of with a bevy of other movies, so it kind of got overlooked mm-hmm. when it came out. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's there to set up a sequel, but I'm really hoping that uh, it kind of gains traction as it goes because I'd love to see more movies in the same vein as this instead of just mindless Transformer movies. Yeah, I don't want another Scott Pilgrim situation. And it's interesting because I was thinking... Why did I like this so much more than Transformers? And there's because there's a human element to it. There's humans inside the machines. There's actual things at stake rather than just Shia LaBeouf running around and screaming. There's whole cities being taken out, and there's people controlling these robots. Mm-hmm. And it's not ashamed of its own n- nerdiness, I guess. Right. They, I mean, Boy, they don't they don't need to hype it up with like Megan Fox or right. flashy music or tons of special effects. Even though there are those in there, but. It was just good. I mean, it doesn't take itself too seriously either when you have Ron Perlman and Charlie Day riffing with each other over brains of these monsters. Those those scenes were among my favorite. Um, really? I mean, I, for me it was the opposite. They weren't... I didn't hate them by any means, but I was more looking forward to just more rampage throughout the movie. But, I mean, that's, that's the two different mindsets, the two different audiences he was trying to please. Mm-hmm. I guess overall, it's just you're getting exactly what they're selling you. No more, no less. Yeah, it's, it's, it's worth to... the price of admission. Mm-hmm. There's no unwanted surprises. It's not trying too hard. It's just monsters versus robots. Yeah, the only qualm I had with it, and it's not even a big deal, is that they focus only on two of the main, to set it up, the the Jaegers are the robots that we build to defend from the giant monsters that are coming from the rift in the Pacific Ocean, which are Keiju. And the only Jaegers they really focus on are two of them. And there's other two 
they kind of really don't do too much without giving too much away in the movie. There's the Japanese one that has three arms. It's piloted by triplets. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that I was kind of most interested in to see how it really functioned, but it's more of just kind of background candy in the movie. And the Russian one was like big and clunky and Soviet Union kind of era machine. And that was kind of cool too, like Cold Warish robot. And that kind of gets relegated to the background too, instead of the Australian one and the U.S. Uh, Jaeger. Mm-hmm. I would definitely have liked to have seen more of them. Um, maybe in a sequel we'll get some... Uh, yeah, I mean, if there's variety. a sequel or a spin-off, I mean, there's definitely room for it. I mean, the question is if they'll get the same budget to, to, to do it with. But you could see that they, besides Idris Elba, they cast relative unknowns mm-hmm. instead and, and, you know, put all the money towards CGI and advertising and other things, which I think was the, the right way to go for these kind of movies, because... I mean, most people who are going to see it aren't going to see it for the actors. No one's saying, oh, I really want to see Ron Perlman, or I'm really excited for the new Charlie Day action robots movie. Or Charlie Hoonan. Who? I don't know how to say his name. The guy from Sons of Anarchy. Uh, oh, Hunman. Hun, yeah, Hunman? Yeah. Something. Yeah, oh, apparently, for the sequel, the writer has said it gets really crazy, so that's, that's cool that he has an idea, but the movie wasn't setting up a franchise it was just a fun movie that you could expand on right it works as a standalone movie which is what we were talking about a, a couple podcasts ago where the it works kind of like the British way of wrapping things up where it could work as a standalone or there's plenty of room for for more sequels because I mean they do spend the first half of the movie kind of setting it up and which is really cool I mean I, I wasn't bored with it at all but you know now that it's an established world it would be really interesting to see where they go with it to go on from there and I that's a good analogy about the British thing. And I, I like that uh, it's kind of an act three of a, what seems like it would be a larger series. It, it kind of comes in at the end of the story. Um, uh, there's a lot of ways this is similar to kind of to the original Star Wars. Not that that came in at the end, but it's certainly the second half of the story. You know, with the unknown actors, mm-hmm. the media race, just kind of setting up this world and telling um, one story about it. Yeah, and I mean, overall, I enjoyed it. I'd recommend it to really anything. It's got elements that everyone can enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, it's not gory. It's like it's fun violence. You know, they have like purple goo that comes out of the mm-hmm. monsters, and you know, you don't. There's nothing too too violent because it's it's robots and monsters. You don't see too much of the human destruction, other than you know buildings crumbling and you know the same thing that Man of Steel did, except with more weight to it, other than just oh look a building collapsed. Right. And that's another thing I like about it. So. Family friendly, it is. Like kids should be enjoying this movie. And yeah, but it's still. I mean, it's still something I would go and see by myself too. It's not like another. Oh Shrek, yeah, yeah. It's not another like Shrek movie or right. anything. So uh, overall, I'd say go see it. Uh, you should have no qualms about it, and that it's really great. Definitely. As you may or may not know, last week was the big week of Comic Con, which mm-hmm. has kind of evolved from a small little kind of just geek convention. I mean, it still is, but in a larger vein. But it's evolved from that into a giant kind of celebrity thing it's almost uh kind of like one of the main events for just movies in general if it has anything to do with a comic or any kind of pop culture then it's there so one of the big announcements was that the next superman movie or man of steel as the darker tone that they're calling it will involve batman in some way shape or form they said today that it's going to be a batman versus superman what are your thoughts on this before I go into mine? Very wary. They're referencing the Frank Miller comics. Which, which has nothing to do with the universe that they've created. Yeah, and those are like... They're, I haven't actually read them, but I've read... The, they work as alternate, like, 
It's what, an alter- what if story. It's what an alternate story. universe right. where Batman's like in his 50s or 60s. He has a 13-year-old girl, Robin, as his partner. Oh, I didn't know that. He makes like an alien bio suit, like the movie Alien, like one of those kind of suits, and fights Superman. Right. Which is, I highly doubt they're doing any of those things, so I don't know why they would evoke that comic as inspiration. Yeah, it's it's worrisome. Uh, I was kind of hoping they would just do another Superman movie and maybe do one where he is actually Superman instead of becoming Superman. Uh, maybe change some of the things that I wasn't a huge fan of in the first one. Yeah, which but, is what we were talking about the last time. Like they've had, they built a great world and have the right actors in place to where they could fix it and make a fantastic sequel, just like The Dark Knight was to Batman Begins. But instead, they it just seems like they're trying to cash in on the success of the Avengers. But the Avengers had that in place. They they're doing it. They did it the right way. They had standalone movies. But Batman and Superman are very two separate lone wolves in terms of being superheroes especially in the movies that they've set up. And it's also worrisome if they are building towards Justice League, which is the DC Avengers. Uh, They're doing Batman and Superman in the same movie, then they're doing Flash, and then they're doing Justice League. Have those been confirmed? Uh, They've been announced, I think. I didn't know if they were doing this instead of a Justice League. I mean, it just just seems like they're throwing crap against the wall and seeing if it sticks for DC because they're so unorganized. Which is ironic because they're the ones who... WB has had the rights to their comics this whole time. Like, Marvel, it took them a while to get all the characters back. Um, and Marvel even made movies with just, like, you know, arbitrary, just middle-of-the-pack superheroes, and it made them into huge hits. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I was saying about Justice League, the big three characters in Justice League are Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Now, I understand Wonder Woman's probably pretty hard to pull off, but you're cutting out one of the main characters. I think it'd be easier to pull off in different movies than it would be to have Batman versus Superman. Oh, I agree, definitely. And the analogy that I liked, and I take no credit for it, but I really liked it, is that Batman and Superman together in one movie is kind of just like, you know, if Batman's peanut butter and Superman's jelly, those two things are great by themselves, but, you know, it's been tried before to have them both in the same jar, and they're terrible together. It's a terrible combination. Keep them separate, separate but equal. They're both great by themselves, but there's just no way that I don't think they can make this good. I mean, I'll gladly eat my words. I'll gladly, mm-hmm. I'll gladly eat crow if this movie turns out to be fantastic. And it's going to be out, they said, in 2015, so you don't have to wait too long. It's already in pre-production, according to them. But uh, I'm just very wary of it in general. They don't even have a Batman yet that I know of. Exactly, because, you know, Christian Bale, he did, the, he did a good thing. He did the three movies he put in his time. And he said, you know, that was going to be his last one. And to his credit, it is. But... You know, first of all, who are they going to cast as Batman? Is that guy going to be okay in a diminished role? Will there be future standalone movies? What if it bombs? What if it's terrible? I mean, mm-hmm. you're putting a lot on this where they could have just had a second Superman movie. You know, there wasn't a clamoring for a new Batman. It was like the Spider-Man movies. They didn't need to reboot it right away for people to still enjoy it. Not that the rebooted Spider-Man was that bad. I still haven't seen it. I haven't brought myself to yet. I mean, that's I think that's what most people think. Like, that's the reason why they didn't need to reboot that quick. There wasn't a giant urge to see these movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing, the, the Chris Nolan's Batman is good, but it doesn't quite fit with the rest of the DC universe. Like, I don't see Superman. Really right, working. he was all supposed to be a lone wolf. Christopher Nolan has said as much. I mean, he's producing this movie, but that's basically a name. Right. So they can say from the creator of Inception and The Dark Knight come sit your asses down in the movie theater to see this movie. Yeah, the DC, or rather Warner Brothers, really 
they don't really have a game plan, it seems. Screwed the pooch. Yeah. On the other hand, there's Marvel, which once again has stolen the show at Comic-Con. But we, I guess we can start with Thor 2 since that's next. Yeah, I mean, Thor 2 looks good. Um, I really don't have any too many complaints with the first one other than it's just kind of hokey, but that's the way it is. I mean, they're, they're making a world of gods, so I mean, yeah. how serious can you be with that? And I guess this one's going to be more in Asgard, so it's going to be much bigger, much uh, grander in its scope, rather than just the fish-out-of-water story. Uh, there's Captain America 2, which is going to be have like a 70s espionage vibe, like Three Days of the Condor, which sounds amazing. But it is present day, though, right? It is. It's it present is. day, but the storyline revol- uh, revolves around the Winter Soldier, which, if you've seen the first Captain America movie... His best friend, Bucky Barnes, who kind of becomes his crime-fighting partner, gets tossed out of the train, assumed dead for this long, comes back as kind of a Cold War villain as the the Winter Soldier, and, you know, things go from there. But also in the movie is Robert Redford mm-hmm. in some capacity, uh, which really hasn't been too too much uh, announced yet. And uh, Frank Grillo, who was in The Grey, I think, is playing a villain called Crossbones, which should be interesting. Especially since I think Crossbones killed Captain America at one point. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I know both of these movies are probably going to have multiple villains. Kind of begs the question, you know, how do you pull that off? I mean, Christopher Nolan's really the only one who's pulled off multiple villains to any good Mm -hmm. effect. You know, that was the downfall of the third Spider-Man movie. That's the reason why people hated it, other than, you know, Tobey Maguire having a dance routine halfway through the movie. But Yeah, you've got to be careful with multiple villains. Uh, what's the next one? Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which everything I've read looks and sounds amazing. Yeah, they said it's kind of like a comic relief yeah. movie. It, it's not supposed to be taken seriously. They're not going to exist in the same universe as the Avengers. No, they do. I mean, I don't think they're going to cross paths too many times, though. Or are they going to be? They wouldn't be part of the Avengers. They would just maybe be referenced within the same two movies. I think what's going to happen is Guardians is going to set up the villain for Avengers 3, which is a guy named Thanos, because he's more from their world. Well, that brings me to my next point, is that I've heard that they were trying to scrap Thanos. uh, For anyone unfamiliar with him, he is the post-credits Avengers villain. Mm -hmm. He was in, yeah, it was the Avengers movie. But they're saying that maybe they were having doubts about having him as the villain, which is why they're having the Age of Ultron now, because he hasn't been referenced at all you know, in Iron Man 3 or anything else, and there's no indication that that's what it's going to be in the next Avengers movie since the Age of Ultron, from as much as I've read, which isn't much admittedly, but that's a completely different storyline. And I think they're not actually doing that storyline, they're just using that title, because uh, I've heard that storyline's pretty bad, actually. Um, but that's why I think Thanos is going to be in the third one. He's pretty much the big heavy hitter. Uh, in one of the comics, he basically gets a glove that makes him a god and kills off half the universe's population with a thought. And all these heroes have to get team up and try and fight him, and they pretty much all get slaughtered. Right, I mean, Joss Whedon has definitely said that the stakes are higher. They're, yeah. they, you know, more than just, uh, you know, putty people aliens that are just threatening New York that, you know, and Ultron go down pretty easily. He's a big threat. It's basically, someone else came up with this, but it's Avengers versus the Terminator. Just a big terrible robot. Right, which is what I would pay to see, and it, it's nice that, I liked how uh, Marvel Studios and Robert Downey Jr. worked out a deal where, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't want to make standalone Iron Man movies, but they're at least going to have him back for two more Avengers movies, which is great, because, I mean, you know, you don't want to get away from him as a character, and you don't want to start recasting him already when he's right. still willing to do it. 
The word is they're going to kind of shift focus, and a character named Doctor Strange is going to kind of take on that leader role, and they supposedly want Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, but that'll be interesting if they get him. You know, will DC consider him as Batman? Which you know, I've heard no indication that they will. But he'll kind of be the first cross-platform mm-hmm. DC or uh, DC to Marvel Studios in both movies. That would be interesting. But uh, I would be all for him as Batman. I don't mean to backtrack, but uh, I thought he did a great job. I thought. That was the best possible way to introduce a new Batman. Mm-hmm. How they did it at the end of Dark Knight Rises. But, you know, I'll be interested to see where they go. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Let's talk a little bit about Breaking Bad now. Bees, you've seen all, you kind of binge-watched the series. Yeah. You're just watching it now. You're two away from being caught up. What are your thoughts on the show? Because I've sung its praises for years. Years when I mean like a year and a half that I binge-watched it. But yeah. I really like it. I'd say it's a at least a top three show on television. I'd say it's a top ten show of all time. Brian Cranston's incredible. But what are your thoughts on it? I agree with pretty much all of that. It's been really fun watching it. I'm kind of... I did start to watch it, I think, two years ago, but then I had to cancel my Netflix DVD thing, and it wasn't on instant at the time, so I just fell by the wayside. I'm glad I picked it up. I think I've watched all but two of them in a week, which was pretty fun. Uh, it's great texting people who've watched it and talking about things that had happened. You uh, know, the head writer, Vince Gilligan, is actually an X-Files yep. descendant. They've had, you know, it's kind of a, I don't know if you'll understand the analogy, but for anyone that's a big sports fan, Bill Belichick is the coach of the Patriots, and he's had tons of disciples go off and have mm-hmm. success or at least been hired in other coaching capacities. And it's kind of the same thing with the X-Files, so that they've had so many head writers go off and make hit shows for a lot of the AMC shows, actually, but... Hmm. And uh, actually, that's where he got the idea to cast Brian Cranston as one of... There's an X-Files episode that he's in that's really, really good. Um, And it's because of that role that he basically got this role in Breaking Bad. Yeah, he pretty much lobbied for Brian Cranston, Mm -hmm. and they wanted to cast someone else in the part. Cusack. Yeah. Which, that'd be interesting. It'd be nice to see an alternate universe version of that. What I like about the show is... Way the characters are great, and it's great that the hero has kind of shifted. I would say. Right. Well, that was his, Vince Gilligan has said from the outset that he wanted to make a character that went from being Mister Chips mm-hmm. to Scarface within you know the arc of however many seasons that he had to create the show. And at this point in the show, like I've given up on Walt being a good guy at any point in the future. But the focus now is: Will Jesse, I think, get out? Well, Vince Gilligan has said that. It's funny because any conventions that he goes to, like Comic-Con, he'll have people raise their hand and say, I hate Skylar. And he'll say, why? Why do you hate her? And it's because, you know, the show's built up around Walt. But in reality, if these people were real people in real life, then she'd be a saint. Yes, I definitely No one, No one would root for Walt in real life. Uh, Yeah. It's funny also rooting for and against Hank. Like, I kind of want to see Walt get away with stuff. But I'm also like, come on, Hank, figure this out. It's kind of like, do you, do you watch the new show, The Americans? No, I have not seen that yet. That's kind of the same deal where it's on FX and it follows the plot of two uh, agents from the Soviet Union during the Cold War. They're living in D.C. They have a family. Oh. And uh, their friend is an FBI agent. So it's like right under his nose. But they're carrying out... It's actually very well written, but they're mm-hmm. carrying out all these different missions. And, you know... You want to root for them, but you you know they're the bad guys. They're blowing up U.S. agents. Mm. It's the same deal with Breaking Bad. Well, like Alias too. But the great thing, I think, my favorite thing about Breaking Bad, other than the acting and the storyline, is that there are little to no plot holes. The writing is so airtight. You know, you think about why did he do this? Why did he do that? And there's almost always a reason why. 
I think it does the best thing you can do with drama, and it's all character. It's all based in character decisions, not plot points that you want to have happen. Everything that happens happens because the char- characters are following their own choices. And this is a side note, but the character of Saul might be one of my all-time favorite characters. Well, they said he might. He's probably getting a standalone show being written by Vince Gilligan, and I, you know, was hesitant. But then the more I thought about it, the more like hell yes, I would watch a show yeah. with Bob Odenkirk as Saul. <laughs> Definitely, I would watch that. Now, uh, the second to last episode that you've seen is probably one of my favorite episodes of TV of all time. I'd say my number one favorite TV show, uh, TV show episode of all time is The Constant with Lost and Desmond. That's a good one. Uh, that's my favorite. But second is the one that you just watched. It's uh, I think it's called Dead Freight. It's the one where yeah. they are robbing a train of methylamine. The plot setup is methylamine is the main ingredient that they use in their cooking of this very pure version of meth. And since they've kind of struck out on their own in this season, they have to get this material, and they're under heavy supervision, so they decide to rob a train. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the best sequences. It's very well done. It's just an awesome episode. It's, it's all revolves around this one event. And it's just, I mean, it's a, heist stories are fun, especially when they involve trains. Uh, it also is one of the most, I don't know, shocking is the right word, but disturbing endings of an episode I've seen in a while. I don't know... If, yeah, so if you plan on watching Breaking Bad, fast forward the next minute or so. Mm-hmm. But So I'll give you about two seconds. One, two. All right. So basically they, they heist this train. The episode opens, by the way, with this kid in the desert on his bike, and he finds a tarantula and drives off. He's yeah, they like, do the cold open on most episodes with, you know, what's going on, and then, you know, they, end, they resolve it by the end of the episode. Right. And then at the end, they just pulled off this heist. Everything's great. They're high-fiving, cheering, and then they look over, and this kid's just standing there looking at them, and he waves... And this guy, who's not typically on their crew, Todd, waves back, but then pulls out a gun and just kills this kid as Jesse tries to stop him. It's, I don't want to say I didn't see it coming, but it just it's one of those moments that's over in a second and you, your jaw just drops. Right, and that's interesting because as you were saying earlier, Jesse's kind of become the humanity of the show. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, at first it was Walt was, you know, the lonely science teacher mm-hmm. who could do no wrong and Jesse was just this strung out junkie and now it's kind of Jesse's got his life together, and Walt is just in shambles as the drug dealer, so that's an interesting role reversal between those two from season one to season four. And I like that this season feels more like a epilogue, kind of, I would say. I mean, I don't know what's happened, maybe, but I would say it's the end of season four was kind of a big climax. Yeah, they're going out with a bang. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the last two episodes when you get to them, and yeah. perhaps the new one that's coming out, but um, it's going to be really interesting to see where they go with it, and... It's probably the most anticipated finale, I think, since since Lost. I mean, you know, people know there's going to be a showdown, and mm-hmm. who, who do you root for? What's going to happen? Is there a good way to end it? Other than, you know, are people going to be happy if Walt dies, gets thrown in jail, if he gets away with it? Is that a good ending? I mean, I mean how do you, I mean, you have some really creative writers? Do you think it's going to be pretty disputed how it ends? Like a Sopranos type thing? No, I don't. I don't think it will be. I mean, they've always been such strong writers, and mm-hmm. they, they tie up things. They're not. It's not like H like, like an HBO show where they'll leave it up to the audience right. to to decide what what it's going to be. I don't think they're going to leave any room for for debate on it. You know, it could be something where they're questioning, you know, if he's still alive or if he got away. But I don't think they're going to be questioning what just happened. They'll be clear on the events. Yeah, at least I think so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, when is would how many episodes are left? Uh, well, you have to catch up on two more, right. and then you'll be caught up on the half season, and then 
it will premiere, I think, next month or, you know, in a few weeks, but uh, not for a little while. Okay, I guess now we can talk about movies that are coming out. Uh, I'm not sure when for some of these, but... Within the next month or so, mm-hmm. they're, they're summer movies. Yeah, uh, number one for me is The World's End. To me, Edgar Wright has not slipped up once yet, knock on wood. And this one looks very funny. It's, I've heard really good things that it's not just funny, but also kind of... Uh, that may be emotionally intense at well, times. Well, to set it up, it's uh, Simon Pegg and... Simon Pegg's like a washed up... He's, I think they're... Are they 40? Um, yeah, they're, they're the guys from Shaun of the Dead and mm-hmm. Hot Fuzz and... And he uh, wants to get all his old drinking buddies together to complete a... Um, what do you call it? The, a pub crawl. Yeah, a pub crawl. Uh, that they have in their old, like, small town in England. And they're all, like, successful and doing well, and he's just a mess. Should the pub be the Winchester? Yeah. I wonder if it will be mentioned, actually. Uh, so they get together, and they start doing this pub crawl, and I guess there's, like, a robot apocalypse. Is it robots? Uh, I, I don't know if it's clearly stated what it is. It's something. Something yeah. attacks them, and they, of course, have to fight, them, fight it off and save the world. Um, and it looks just as good as Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz have. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that one. I've heard good things. It's been released in England already. So oh, yeah, is that, has it received uh, good reviews there? I mean, I know they were at Comic Con too promoting that. I haven't actually read any reviews, but I've seen like retweets of people. Who I mean, I'll still see it regardless. Mm-hmm. That's there. There are two guys that I'll see like pretty much any movie that they make, regardless of critical reviews. Uh, well, let's see. What else did you have? You have uh, Gravity. Gravity, which I just saw a new preview for, but I would it say it looks watch. terrifying. Yeah, it's basically open water in space without sharks. Now, this is Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. Yeah, which I still haven't really seen George Clooney in the previews, but... Uh, he's kind of like the... Uh, well, the premise is Sandra Bullock. They're both up in space on some kind of space station mm-hmm. doing repairs. They get hit by some kind of shrapnel or asteroid. Sandra Bullock loses her harness, goes flying into open space, is as much right. as I know. And I believe she's in orbit around the Earth. Yeah. Um, so, it's terrifying, especially if you have a thing about heights like I do. It's also directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Cuaron, I think yeah. that's how you say it. Uh, if you, you've definitely seen at least one of his movies, he's directed the third and possibly best Harry Potter movie, The Prisoner of Azkaban. And he also directed one of my favorite movies, Children of Men. Mm-hmm. He's known for his long, prolonged shots. If you've seen Children of Men, uh, one of my favorite sequences in that movie or of any movie is kind of towards the end where he follows, it's tracking one shot for over 10 minutes mm-hmm. of kind of like a war-torn neighborhood and two different armies and rebels going at it, and it you know it tracks the shot without cutting the scene for over 10 or 15 minutes. That's a good one. I would say my favorite, though, is the other one in the car, the other famous one, where... Oh, right, towards the beginning. Right, right. They're, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Like, they're in a car, and they're just attacked by a mob, and it follows the inside of the car... For you know another ten minutes, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what he's known for. They said this movie's a lot like that too, where you know, but it's open shots in space. So mm-hmm. you know, multiply that by ten, and that's probably what gravity is. Do you know how he recreated weightlessness? I read something. I'm not sure. I know he's a big fan of practical effects. Yeah. He's not big on FX, which is interesting because you're making a space movie. So mm-hmm. short of sending them up there, I'm sure there's some green screen involved. Right. Um, what is the third one I have on there? Oh, Elysium. Elysium, Elysium by Neil Blomkamp. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that one. Um, he did District 9 a few years ago, and this is his second movie. Uh, it looks pretty promising. It's mad. Basically, all the rich people live in a... It's not like a space station, but it's 
It's like a, a structure, like a Death Star, except in a nice community mm-hmm. in there. And everyone who is poor lives down below on the surface. And Matt Damon, for whatever reason, he gets like a robot suit or something. Yeah, he gets something that helps him, you know, infiltrate this uh, pretty much impenetrable, perfect place mm-hmm. that he needs to go to that can, you know, cure disease. It's where everyone wants to be. So his goal is to get up there. What I really like about Neil Blomkamp, at least what he did in District 9, is he had these trailers, but they really didn't give too much away. And I think that's kind of the same thing. It's just the tip of the iceberg that you're seeing with these trailers. And I'm really excited to see what he does with this movie. And, uh, you know, Charlotte Copley is in it, who was the main character in District 9. Oh. But he's, he's like, bulked up. He's beefy. He's, like, this huge guy with a beard who hunts Matt Damon down. He's almost unrecognizable because in District 9, he's just this kind of tiny little, like, kind of, like, weenie of a guy. I actually thought he was Murray from Flight of the Concord at first when I saw that movie. Exactly. I mean, I, you wouldn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. He was just an unknown actor. And another cool thing about Neil Blomkamp was he made District 9 just kind of as a big FU to movie studios because he was originally contracted to make the uh, the Halo movie. <laughs> and they lost faith in him. They didn't think he could handle it. And they cut him from the movie and cut the movie. And then he pretty much made this movie saying, like, yeah, in your face, I have, like, a quarter of the budget that I'm going to make ten times the movie that Halo could ever be. So, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, what about your movies? Yeah, the first movie that I'm looking forward to, I'm not sure if it's a summer movie or it kind of comes out in the bridge between the two, but is Inside Llewellyn Davis. It's the new Coen Brothers movie. It's kind of like a Bob Dylan biopic, except Bob Dylan's not involved. It's like a fictional character of this Llewellyn Davis. There's folk songs. The lead singer Mumford & Sons make an appearance. Yeah. Carrie Mulligan's in it, who I really love. I love everything that she's in. So that's interesting. What's funny about that preview is I wouldn't have guessed it was a Coen Brothers movie looking at it. No, right. It just kind of looks like an art house film yeah. that, you know, but that's kind of what the Coen Brothers do. They, they switch up their project. You never see them make even remotely the same movie twice, mm-hmm. which is, you know, why people are still interested in them. They go from making The Big Lebowski to, you know, Fargo to whatever else. I mean, that's out of order, obviously, but and then to uh, No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Just drastically different movies. I mean, you know, there's some element of gore in some of their movies, but I don't think there will be in this. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. So that comes out soon. Uh, and the second movie I'm excited about, it's in limited release now. It stars James McAvoy. It's called Filth. It's written by the same guy who wrote Train Spotting. Uh, the director's somewhat of an unknown. But, Who's the director? Uh, I'm not sure. We'll have to clarify yeah. that. But... Uh, it's uh, The premise is that James McAvoy is just a very crooked cop. And when I say crooked, I don't mean, like, you know, stealing drugs here or there. You know, it's just way off the deep end. He just lets go, which is going to be really fun because James McAvoy usually is a very reserved character in most of his movies. And even when he's not, he's just the same type of guy. And this, he's just gone off the deep end. It looks like he put on 30 or 40 pounds to play this cop. You know, and the same, uh, you know, the same accents as Train Spotting. Mm-hmm. Looks like a typical Irving Welsh character. But as he's very much an Irving Walsh character. Um, if you like those types of books, if you like Train Spotting, I would highly recommend reading the book. It's a quick read. It's very fun. It's different than most books you'll read because Irving Welsh writes his characters uh, with the accent. Hmm. Uh, when I say that, I mean they spell them differently. So if you were to read it out loud, you would have the accent rather than just spelling it out and saying they were speaking in the accent, if that makes any sense. It does. And it's um, the only thing I've read by him is called The Acid House. It's a collection of short stories, and he does mm-hmm. some weird stuff, like even with where the text is placed. And that's the same thing with this book, because in this book, the character is kind of mentally unstable, mm-hmm. and he also has a tapeworm. And sometimes he'll have a tapeworm 
his the tapeworm's thoughts <laughs> in the margin, like overcrowding what the what's going on in the actual book. Well, now I have to borrow this. Yes, yeah, so, uh, yeah. So then the tapeworm kind of becomes the narrator towards like the middle of the book too. It, it's very interesting. Um, it's sadistically funny. It's very dark. But uh, those are the kind of movies that I like, so I'm interested in seeing that. That sounds good. Well, we talked a lot about just a few different things that we're interested in, and I think overall it went pretty well. As always, be sure to spread the word about this podcast. And I, I'm going to go back to my original tagline, because I kind of panicked and grabbed whatever I could last time. So whatever you do, take care of your shoes. Keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.